Who roots against Tom Hanks? Like he roots against Tom Hanks. Only bad people root against Tom Hanks. It's Tom Hanks. He's everybody's dad, you know. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. So you lie to yourself to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that. We all do it. We all go a little mad sometimes. Come on. One of you nuts has got any guts. What's but a smile on that face? You're only as healthy as you feel. Listen to me. Listen to you about what right. Because I have a right to be. I have a voice. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Pop Culture Case Study. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Pop Culture Case Study, where we analyze pop culture from a psychological angle, a part of the following films network. So this week, uh, we are taking a look at Captain Phillips and the effects of poverty. And of course, the reason we're doing that is uh, Tom Hanks is playing another uh, old captain in Sully coming up. So I thought this was the perfect tie-in. And to do that, I have now a repeat guest, uh, Miranda Sajak, who is here for our Mission Impossible episode, is now back for Captain Phillips. So thanks for joining me. Thank you. It's good to be here again. Nice. Uh, so did you want to talk about your uh, your No Trace project? Sure. Um, so if you guys listened to the last podcast, you know, but if you didn't, you should, because it was awesome. Um, but <laughs> a little plug in there. Um, but I'm working on a short action film called No Trace, which we have been crowdfunding for over on GoFundMe. Um, and it's GoFundMe.com slash Miranda Directs. And it follows an undercover cop who robs a bank for the mob, only to find herself on the run from her former police partners. So a lot of twists and turns, uh, a lot of action, a lot of fun. So we're going to be shooting that in November, and we're looking forward to it. Nice. People out there, like you, if you have any extra money, you should definitely donate to this project. It's It looks like a fantastic project. Like we talk a lot about, you know, women behind the camera and independent film. And, you know, 2016 hasn't been the best year. So if you're one of those people like me who's been bitching and moaning every week about how bad these releases are, maybe support an independent project that that might do something a little bit different. Uh, I donated my own money to it, so you totally should too. And the more money that they get, the better the film is going to be. The more you know locations they can go to, they can update their props, all that kind of stuff. So definitely go and donate to that. All right. So uh, before uh, we take our break and I talk about the really, again, uplifting topic of the effects of poverty, uh, why don't you give us a couple movie recommendations? Sure. Um, so the first one that I thought when I thought about the effects of poverty um, is a personal favorite. Also, speaking of female directors and uh, and leads, and that's Winter's Bone. Oh, nice. And, uh, yeah, and that one is uh, it's a story about a young girl um, in the Appalachians who essentially um, her dad goes missing and he is due for a court date, and essentially like her house has been put up as bond. So she basically learns that if she can't find him they'll take her house away. And she has two young siblings and a mom who's essentially like catatonic and doesn't really do much. Um, So it's really like on the shoulders of, I think she's like 16 or something, but like this really young teen girl basically has to figure out where her absent criminal father is or lose her house. Um, And so it's really, um, it delves deep into Um, drug culture and um, poverty in the United States. And, um, you know, it's really just this fantastic, fantastic gripping film. Um, The director actually sort of comes from the documentary world. So it has a very sort of deep realism to it. Um, And, you know, even just for like dialogue alone, I would say just like watch it for the dialogue because it's so smart and fresh. And it'll, it sounds like no other film I've heard. uh, Yeah. 
it goes. So for me, that one just was absolutely gripping and just one of these things where it's so good with world building that you just feel like you're there. Yeah, that was one of those movies that I don't think I even heard about until it got nominated for an Oscar. Like I wasn't even aware of it. And then I was like, nominated for four Oscars and it's right. also for Lawrence's like third film or something. And yeah. it was like the first one that gave her notice because she got nominated for an Oscar for it. So yeah, and might be her best performance. I like it's, I mean, it's I phenomenal. It's a lot to live up to. So. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough to kind of have that be your breakout and then be like, now I have to do like Hunger Games, you know, yeah. um, I like Hunger Games, but this one is just, it's, it's really transcendent and it just completely changes who she is and how you see her. If you haven't seen it before, it's really, yeah. really different for her. So really recommend. Um, and the second one, which is also about the dark underbelly of poverty in the United States and like, a lot of like really upbeat films this time. Um, the second one is Precious, um, which I need to rewatch because it's been a while. But this was another one where it really focused on American poverty. Um, you know, I had thought about, um, you know, City of God or Slumdog Millionaire, but I felt like I connected a little bit more personally with Precious. Um, and it focuses on a young girl in New York who has to cope with a number of problems, um, not the least of which is poverty. Um, you know, it's sort of um, um, there's a lot of stuff for her that um that is really bad in her life that's like not even it's like sort of like a a subset of the fact that she's impoverished rather than you know the fact that she doesn't have money being like the main thing um right so there's just like a lot of really bad things going on for her but again it's like a performance film um and you know while winter's bone has fantastic performances uh, that one is also more of a world building film and precious is really about the actors and their characters Um, And it's really, really worth watching and unpacking because it just, it, again, like it addresses a lot of issues about American poverty that we just don't talk about. Um, And it's another one where language is really important and where character is really important. And it's, it's really great. I just, I love that film. So I think it's worth seeing. Nice. That's actually one I haven't seen. So I still have to check that one out. And I'm glad you didn't bring up Slumdog Millionaire because I hate that movie. So I'm glad I didn't have to go like, oh, let's not talk about that. Let's move on. I didn't love that one either. So I don't think that's the right one for this. Nice. Cool. Well, thank you for those recommendations. And then we'll take a break now and talk about poverty. And then we'll bring you back on to talk about Captain Phillips. Great. All right. So today we're talking about the effects of poverty. And our first article is from Psychology Today. And it's just about the effects that poverty actually has on the brain. And they kind of start out this article talking about how during elections, uh, both parties, Democratic and Republican, talk about poverty a lot, um, but they don't really define it as a moral concern. But it really is an ethical matter once you take into account the impact that long-term poverty has on the lives of people, and this is especially for children. So let's look at the facts first. In 2011, poverty levels were at over 15%, which is the highest in 20 years. So This is a measure of absolute, not relative poverty, and it's defined by our government as the threshold below which families or individuals are considered to be lacking the resources to meet the basic needs for healthy living, having insufficient income to provide food, shelter, and clothing needed to preserve health. This isn't just running out of money at the end of the month. This is like, I can't afford food for my family. I can't clothe my children. This is true, true poverty. There's a bunch of recent studies that show that the brains of children in poverty are impacted. One researcher from Stanford, Robert Sapolsky, demonstrates this dramatically. So for many years, kids' thymus glands were radiated to prevent SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. 
but this actually ended up causing thyroid cancer in thousands of adults. But physicians believed that the normal thymus in children should be small, should be tiny, which is what they saw in the children they dissected because the only bodies autopsied at the time were that of poor people. In fact, the gland was small due to stress, the stresses of poverty. The thymus gland in children normally is large and then grows smaller with age. In a separate study, Sapolsky wrote about the impact of stress upon the brains of poor children. Brains of poor children are actually atrophied. But was this because poverty causes small brains or people who are poor start out with smaller brains? He thought the former, though conceded that his conclusions were tentative as correlation never proves causation. But there's this mounting evidence that the relationship between atrophied brains and stress is more than just a correlation. It may be causal. At a study at Boston Children's Hospital, they found severe psychological and physical neglect will produce measurable changes in children's brains. Now, unfortunately, you, there's no way to remove stress from poverty. They go hand in hand. More important than the unhealthy lifestyles and lack of access to good health care, chronic stress makes many people susceptible to many things like cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, depression, diabetes. The impact upon the brain is seen with those suffering from basically like PTSD, so the hippocampus part of their brains are atrophied. Now, chronic stress, which is, of course, experienced by most poor people and many poor children, can be devastating because that, that hippocampus that we talked about, that regulates emotional response, and it's critical in the formation of memory and spatial awareness. Now, the impact of chronic stress is different than the reaction to acute stress, which actually can be beneficial because it causes greater alertness and increased focus. Poor children experience high levels of stress because, among many other reasons, they live in violent neighborhoods. Um, they move residences twice as often and get evicted five times as often as the average American. And they're more likely to be bullied in school. So yes, you can, you can change, like you can change things about the habits of children, including their eating habits. And it's a good thing, but it will actually have this really small effect in making children healthier. Now here's the good news. It's actually possible to reverse the damaging effects of chronic stress in children. Sapolsky said that in rats, short-term exposure to glucocorticoids causes neurons to shrink, but they rebound when levels of the hormones return to normal. However, he notes that long-term exposure causes irreversible damage. So if we can, can, if, if we can get people out of, out of these poverty-stricken, stress-stricken situations, they can return to normal. But if they're there long-term, we have big, big problems. So a recent study looked at children in Romania who were transferred from orphanages to foster care, and they found basically the same thing. The brains of children in the orphanage were damaged, but these changes can be partially reversed with quality foster care. One of these researchers, Margaret Sheridan, said, quote, Increasingly, we are finding evidence that exposure to childhood adversity has a negative effect on brain development. The implications are wide-ranging, not just for institutionalized children, but also for children exposed to abuse, abandonment, violence during war, extreme poverty, and other adversities. So it's easy to draw conclusions from these findings, as Sapolsky, the original researcher, is very aware. He says, The psychosocial school has occasionally been accused of putting forward an anti-progressive message, like don't bother with universal health care and affordable medicines, because there, there will be a robust socioeconomic status and health effect after all the reforms. But the lesson of this research is not to abandon societal change. It's that it is actually more needed. So true poverty, as we're talking about here, will take its toll on children. Society needs to intervene really early and, and reduce stress to these acceptable levels. Social change also needs to be conscious of this and communal. It isn't a matter of one person being good to one another. It's this kind of wholesale commitment to ensure that every child has the chance to live without chronic stress. 
So one more quote from Sapolsky. He says, higher income inequality intensifies a community's hierarchy and makes social support less available. Now, truly symmetrical, reciprocal, affiliative support exists only when people are equal. And also, if you have your nose rubbed in in your poverty, it's likely to lessen your sense of control, your quality of life, uh, your self-efficacy, and will aggravate these frustrations you're already going through and you feel your life seeming to worsen, even if it's actually staying the same. Now, the surest way to feel poor is to be, is, is to be made to feel poor. To be endlessly aware of the haves when you are a have-not. And in this global village, we are constantly made aware of the moguls and celebrities whose resources definitely dwarf us. So it turns out part of the problem is income equality. So addressing this problem is actually more likely to protect the brains of poor children than waiting for a recovering economy to provide more dollars in the pockets of the poor. Now it's important to note here this focuses on children and with adults like we have in our movie Captain Phillips today, the people who have been exposed to poverty have been doing it, you know, I'd say for at least 15 to 20 years. They're not going to bounce back as quickly, but there is still some utility in providing equality. Their quality of life gets better. They they feel more egalitarian. Um, but of course, this is a larger problem in the movie because it has more to do with, with globalization than, than it's something we can just walk in and fix. Now, because the movie we're talking about, it's not so much about individual poverty, but kind of culture-wide, worldwide, I wanted to talk about something called the cycle of poverty before we get back to the movie. Now, this is a social phenomenon where poverty-stricken individuals have this tendency to remain poor throughout their lifespan, and in many cases, across generations. So the cycle of poverty has been described as either a catch-22 or a feedback loop, and it occurs because the financial resources necessary to get out of poverty, namely productive capital, which many critics believe can only be obtained if the individual has financial resources in the first place. So we can assume that poverty-stricken people find it extremely difficult to get out of poverty because they don't possess enough resources to invest in their own economic development. The cycle of poverty actually has roots in ancient times and feudalism. Serfs and peasants on landlords' land often had to pay most of their crops in tribute to their lord as rent or taxes and were only allowed to keep enough for bare sustenance. Now, because they're unable to maintain any savings to invest in human or physical capital to improve their own productivity and their income, peasant families would remain poor for generations. Applied to countries, the poverty cycle is often called the development trap. So if you're unable to maintain savings and invest in development, the cycle of poverty leads to a significant underinvestment in in an individual economy. So productivity from the impoverished is significantly reduced and economic growth is reduced. The cycle of poverty also will reduce the potential for skills-based and knowledge-based development because they are unable to invest the time and money in the necessary education. This effect leads to a technology shortage, which in turn leads to low production and lower foreign direct, direct investment. So this cycle of poverty leads to a cycle of social unrest as well. Poverty causes social discontent and social strife, and social strife in turn hampers economic growth. Unstable political and social climates also deter investors, both foreign and domestic. So I think you can see how the movie actually ties into this. Like this is what was happening in Somalia, a lot of it due to overfishing by uh, by other countries. Now there was no capital and no way to invest and no way to get education and knowledge and any of that good stuff that will help you get more capital. So they were kind of trapped in this feedback loop. So there's two basic camps when it comes to 
why the cycle of poverty exists. The political left tend to argue that social injustice and social inequality are to blame. Now, free market proponents and libertarians may argue that the strong presence of the state in the economy will erode property rights and thus the incentive to create wealth. So that first one, that's kind of unbalanced distribution. So lack of education is thought to be one of the biggest causes of this poverty cycle. A maximized education would require devoted time and energy and extracurricular reading. Children who are from poor families and have to work cannot maximize this education. And and this is even if the education was free. It would also require a hygienic environment, which is often not available to the poverty-stricken children. This is even worse in countries like India, where public education in many areas is not available due to budget constraints. Tertiary education is also often not free. So these theorists believe that children often, that children often will not be able to break out of poverty because they have this reduced skill set, and that reduces their potential income. So with no means to provide an educational environment for their own children, the cycle begins again. Now, the successive intervention by the state from the libertarians. So they say the cycle of poverty is because of lack of recognition of property rights and insufficient protection from the state. So to be more exact, in an environment where a person's property can be stolen at any time, such as countries with with a weak rule of law, there's no incentive to save and invest. Others argue that poverty is sustained by government overregulation that will generate really high costs to property ownership. Still, others will say that tax on investments all provide kind of really perverse incentives towards wealth creation that hurt the poor the most. They further argue that some of these arrangements are also just wealth transfers from poor to rich, like tariffs and social security. And finally, some argue that welfare perpetuates poverty by providing incentives counter to wealth creation. Proponents of the fair tax and economists like Milton Friedman favor taking away welfare programs altogether, especially those that prevent benefits from those earning above a certain income. They believe that these income caps as eligibility to receive benefits provide an incentive for laborers to earn less than they actually could in order to gain free benefits from government programs. Now, of course, me being a dyed-in-the-wool liberal, I don't believe that um, in particular because uh, I think we should actually, you know, help people out. Um, yeah, the welfare system is certainly not perfect and needs a lot of improvements, but to remove that, I think, just pushes people further into that that kind of feedback loop of the poverty system. All right, so that's it for our psychological section. Uh, we're going to take a little break and then come back and bring Miranda Sajak back to talk about Captain Phillips. All right, so we're back to talk about the movie. It's time to talk about Captain Phillips. So uh, let's just for a second talk about our kind of history with the movie. So for me, uh, I avoided this movie like the plague when it was coming out. I saw the trailers and I saw the poster and immediately like my, you know, for lack of a better term, my social justice warrior came out and I was like, nope, no interest in this. I do not need to see dark colored people be portrayed as savage as pirates against this poor helpless white man like i don't i don't need that in my life i'm i'm good and i avoided it until i watched uh the born movies so when i saw paul greengrass's movies i was like okay these were really good i really enjoyed this maybe i need to give this a chance i still haven't seen united 93 which is also another one of his movies but when that was coming out, you know, it was relatively close to when 9-11 happened, and I was afraid it was going to be, like, really kind of jingoistic and not something I was going to be interested in, especially at that, at that time. So anyway, so I avoided it and then saw the Bourne movies and then saw this, and I was actually really impressed with it. Like, we talked online about how 
there's problems like there's there's some stuff going on and we'll get into that for yeah. sure but it was definitely it kind of blew me away it was much better than i expected it to be so what about you um yeah i mean for me it was slightly a different angle um i was definitely with you on especially seeing the trailer um you know feeling like oh like i don't know if i'm gonna be like i mean you know, just, just, I was, I was uncomfortable with some of the layers that were presented, even just in the trailer itself, um, that, you know, we'll get into later, but, um, you know, for, for me, I was like, I don't know, but then, um, simultaneous to its release or very close to its release, I believe like the summer before or something, um, kind of in that timeline, uh, I had started writing a feature about, um, piracy, modern day piracy. Um, so, it ended up being something where I um, I felt like I kind of had to see it just because, first of all, I didn't want to like overlap too heavily, um, but also because I wanted to see if there was anything I could learn from it that I could then use, even if it was just like, you know, shipping verbiage or like something, you know, that I would just be able to say, okay, like that's something that I can take or learn from or understand or whatever that I didn't know before, you know? So for me, it was like, as much as I was... So it was like um, homework? Yeah. By like the idea of it, but I was just like, you know what, just go see it. Like, you know, I I know I like Tom Hanks, like he's usually okay with this stuff. So, you know, just give it a shot and kind of see, you know? Um, so I went and saw it and yeah, I mean, I kind of like you, I I was actually pretty blown away. Um, and I remember leaving the theater and, you know, putting it in my top probably 10 of that year. Um, I don't know if it was higher than that, but like, it was definitely like somewhere in my top 10 that year. Um, and I, I did feel like I learned a lot and I, I, you know, we'll get into it, but I, I did quite enjoy it. I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay. So let's jump into the direction. So, uh, Paul Greengrass, uh, kind of known for his uh, not-so-steady hand at the camera, and this is very prevalent in this movie. Yeah. Like, like especially any scene where there's action or any scene, like, with the Somali pirates, like, it's yeah. it's like it's some awesome. hyperactive animal got a hold of his camera and he just cannot stand still. Um, and I think in certain circumstances it works, but there's also scenes where nothing is happening, like we're looking at an email on the screen, and he still, like, just, just, yeah. just set it on a tripod, man. Just yeah. leave it. It. You're not doing anything except yeah. I don't know if you're like waving back and forth, like calm down. Yeah. Um, and and I think at this point it just there's almost no escaping it with this movie is because it's become his calling card. Like I wonder how much of that is like okay now I kind of have to do this because it's yeah. what's expected of me. Yeah, I mean I feel the same way. Um, I liked the script more than the directing, and I know we'll talk about writing in a minute. But um, you know I, I think there's um. I'm not usually into the handheld look like at all, just in general, like it gives me a little bit of a headache and, you know, it depends on the movie. Like sometimes I can kind of forget it. And with this one, I found myself getting into the story enough that I was able to kind of push past it. But um, right. there were, there were certainly moments where I was like, Whoa, <laughs> just like one, one tripod shot here would be good. Like I would, I would feel better if that was happening now. Um, but I'm with you, like, you know, he's looking at an email, he's like getting his passport and packing it and you're like, Whoa, like, where are we? Like, okay. Like his house is shaking, I guess, or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean like, and when there's a lot of excuses where it's just like, well, it's on a boat and I'm like, yeah, it is on a boat, but like Titanic was also on a boat and like they used a lot of tripods there. So it was, it was a pretty stationary like that. I mean, granted different films, different looks, different tones, different intentions, but like you can definitely shoot a movie on a boat and not be 
like that handheld. Yeah, yeah. I shouldn't need like Dramamine to watch your movie. That's so, not. Yes, right. like, <laughs> you need to push through that. Um, but beyond that for the directing, um, you know, I will say like beyond like the camera style, um, I think like the the colors worked really well. Um, it's mm. like a very, I mean, saying that I'm like, it's a very drab movie, but like, it is a very drab movie. It's a very desaturated movie. It's not like this glossy, you know, like oversaturated, like it's not like a, you know, Todd Haynes or like, you know, something where you're just like, this is so beautiful. Like, but I still thought it was beautiful. Um, even though like there was a lot of that color kind of dropped out, um, or a lot of that, like blasting color kind of dropped out. Uh, and I really enjoyed that because I felt like it made me feel like I was there a little bit more than if it had been, um, you know, again, like a James Cameron or like, you know, Boz Lerman or whatever, <laughs> you know, something where it's just like so bright and glossy and pretty where you're just so distracted by that, that you're not really with the story. Like you're so aware of the production design. And I felt like the production design was really, um, it was nice because it was really kind of withdrawn. Like it was definitely like something that was going for a realistic feel. Uh, and I think that worked. So for me, like the production design part of the direction worked really well. Yeah, actually that, that you talk about the color and it not being oversaturated. I think that really helps the movie. It, it helps, especially viewers like me who are coming in and going like, okay, we have another like hero story. You know, the, the fact that it's not glossy and not, you know, and we didn't cast like maybe somebody younger as Captain Phillips and have this very, you know, stereotypical hero shot. I like that. And it may, like you said, it makes you feel like you're there. It makes it feel a bit more real and a bit more dangerous. Yeah. Like, you know, there were, you know, I, walking into this, there wasn't actually that much I knew other about other than, OK, this guy is Captain Phillips and, you know, he survives. And that's kind of all I knew. So Everyone else in this story, like, you know, everyone's at risk. Yeah. So and and the movie really, really hammers that home yeah. very well just by the look of it. The other choice I found interesting, and it's it's different for me because I feel like I thought of this positively the first time I saw it and then negatively the second time I saw it. So the choice to have um, all the Somali individuals not have subtitles when they speak. I thought when I first watched it, like, wow, what a what a cool choice. Like, we're just going to go with with tone and you're going to figure it out. And you do. But then I start thinking about kind of the, you know, the more problematic aspects of the movie. And like, does this just serve to make the Somalis even more the other, you know, yeah. like we can't understand what they're saying. Everything's yeah. being shouted. There's some sort of drug being used. And that's kind of all we know. So as I watch it again, I'm like, Oh man, maybe that's not so cool. I don't really like yeah. that anymore. Yeah. I mean, for me, like I, I think I would have liked it more and like this is going to sound sort of weird but um I think I would have liked it more because my guess is that the choice was made because it is Captain Phillips and they want us to experience, you know, the world through his eyes kind of. Um and I think I would have liked it more if they had just dropped the subtitles when he or like another white person or whatever oh, was present. That would be interesting, yeah. I that would have maybe worked for me um, because obviously this is like, you know, I'm like, we're going to talk about, you know, this is like a, this film has problematics in that, you know, the, the dark skinned people are bad guys and the light skinned people are good guys. Um, right. So, you know, but because I felt as though the choice was made and maybe I'm wrong, but I felt as though the directorial choice was made because they were essentially trying to put us in Captain Phillips head and kind of give us the experience that he would have had. Um, 
I, I think that if they had dropped the subtitles when he was nearby, then maybe that would have worked better for me. Um, because I mm. felt as though, you know, when um, the Somali pirates are essentially like talking to each other, like, and they're alone, like they would know what they're saying to each other. Like that wouldn't be a question and it wouldn't be weird and it wouldn't be bizarre for them or the audience to understand what's going on. Um, but it might be when Captain Phillips is there, but then I can also see why that choice wasn't made. Like I, like I, I sort of, I mean, I'm, I'm, probably projecting my own expectations onto it as far as like what it means and everything. But that was sort of like my guess. Cause I did think about it again when I was rewatching it this week. Um, that was like my guess where I was like, Oh, is this like, because you know, they're just trying to see the world through, you know, his eyes and like, that's sort of the perspective. And it seems like it is, um, you know, there are a few scenes without him in it, but they're minimal. Um, so it is, it does seem like they're trying to sort of show the world through the eyes of captain Phillips as much as they can um they could have a little more even but um you know they definitely it seemed like that was the choice they were making and so i would have probably found it more interesting if they had chosen to do um very specific um subtitles and then it would have felt a little bit more intentional i think yeah, I think the only other thing it really gives us is it gives us that sense of surprise when our other main character, our main pirate, speaks English. Yes. And it really throws us off because we are so kind of projecting ourselves in this otherness there because we don't understand as the audience anything they're saying either. So then when he's able to speak English and is trying to like, you know, pretend he's the he's the Coast Guard in that scene, it is very shocking for the audience. And maybe it wouldn't be so much if we had kind of bonded with him already through the use of subtitles. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think that's a really good point. I think also the the shots that are done really well is – this there's there's the scene with kind of this chase sequence, but because it's on the water, it's really slow, you know, yeah. and it shouldn't be exciting. But Greengrass yeah. has this gift for action sequences, whether it's hand to hand fighting in Bourne or it's scenes like this, like just the the scenes with the hoses that they're using to kind yeah. of knock the the pirates off their skiffs, like really work. And yeah. w- in the hands of most other directors, I can't imagine this building tension you're like this big slow behemoth of the boat and then it sprays water on these little boats and then that's it you know and it's like (laughs) on paper like i can't imagine what the the script directions would say in these sequences but he really does have an eye for that he does and i think it works um it worked for me certainly and i you know that's one of the sequences that i looked to as one of the strongest sequences in the film um was really the sequence of them fighting fight trying to fight off the pirates and then when you know the ladder finally connects with the ship and like that's really tense and you you have that feeling of oh my god you know what's gonna happen next um but it's really there's something really interesting about it because their ship is so big and so helpless and there's that's that's sort of a contradiction um because usually the big guy is sort of you know the one with the um advantage over the little guy but here you have this little ship and they all have guns and this big ship and they have these hoses and it's like oh great like this water is really gonna stop these guys (laughs) who actually have guns and they can like kill you with like you know and the hoses hold them off a little bit but not for long and so there is yeah there's a lot of uh tension and sort of juxtapositions at play that are really nice and I think for me one of the best shots um or I guess shot reverse shots in the sequence is um when you have Captain Phillips 
on the ship and he has his binoculars and he's watching them. And then you have like Musa like on his ship with his binoculars watching Captain Phillips and they're like watching each other watch each other. (laughs) And that for me is just a great moment where it's the first like direct connection, even though they're connecting over this vast water and they can't, they're not even in the same space, but it's the first moment where you see them actually connect and you know that there's going to be some sort of a personal interaction between these two characters. And that to me is really um, fascinating. And and I really liked how that was done. Yeah. And you bring up tension. The last thing I wanted to bring up is how well Greengrass just in general builds tension, whether you're talking about the scenes kind of in the hold with the, the entire crew hiding as, as the pirates are kind of walking through and all you see is like little slivers of light on their faces. And you just see their kind of eyes bulging and that kind of terrified, expression on their face without overdoing it and then all the scenes in the lifeboat that are just phenomenal where you can like actually like there's something about the quality of the film where you can actually see the beads of sweat in these particular moments where things get really stressful and on and shooting in something in like in a lifeboat like that has to present a lot of challenges but it never i mean it feels of course like you're in close quarters but you never feel like the director is struggling like no. there's never this scene where you're like, oh, that should have been framed a little bit differently. That beams in the way you never get that. And the movie that we covered recently that I would kind of compare it to in that in that sense is David Ayer's Fury, where he's shooting inside of a tank. And that's also done really well in those enclosed spaces. And just it being in that space, I think, builds that tension and the fact that people are armed in a space like – you know, no bigger than a very, very small room and anything could go wrong at any second. And you really feel that. Yeah, um, I agree. I think that's a, it's a great sequence and it's really interesting. It's a huge chunk of the film takes place there. Um, Which I was not expecting like first time through. It was like lifeboat. Structurally, it's it's fascinating structurally. Um, But a huge, huge portion of the movie takes place in that lifeboat and, um, and it's small and it's contained, but it doesn't, you're right. It doesn't ever feel like the director isn't very clear about what angle he's going to use, where the camera's going to go, where the cast is going to be, uh, what's going to be happening at any given moment. He is very precise with his choices, even as it's handheld and a little bit all over the map. Sometimes the choice is always very clear. And I did like that for sure. You know, for me, this isn't a huge directing film. Uh, Maybe it's actually a really good one because I don't see a lot to point out. Maybe it's so, you know, um, just it works so innately well that I just don't even recognize what's there. Um, But I think we kind of went over the general elements and I don't have much else on the directing really. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right kind of on, on both counts there. Uh, It is, it is one of those movies where you don't notice and that's, and that's a good thing, but also it's really about two people. Like this yeah. whole movie is about Tom Hanks and Barkat Abdi. Like that's yeah. kind of it. Um, so let's jump into that. So Tom Hanks, like I – so when I was first watching this movie, for the first 90 percent of it, I thought this is pretty good. I'm enjoying this. And then – I mean we'll talk about it more when we get to favorite scenes. But Tom yeah. Hanks' last scene, like I truly think this is the best moment of Tom Hanks's career. And that's saying a lot. Like I went, I mean, I'll be honest. I went through a period where I was very anti Tom Hanks because he won the Oscar every year. He had that kind of like Meryl Streep area where you're like, I don't even want you to win anymore because it's like, oh, what did Tom Hanks do this year? Just throw it his way. Yeah, he's Um, a 
star then he's not an actor anymore and you kind of get lost in that yeah right but here like he's incredible here like i like the fact that and we'll get into this a little bit when we get to the script but they wrote actually a very complicated character for him it would have been very easy to just write him as a hero but i do feel like they wrote him as like a real person who makes mistakes uh instead of just like oh this poor guy has been taken captive what what do we do to save him yeah but his performance here is just phenomenal and even the accent work that he's doing is really good here too which when i first heard him speak i was kind of like oh boy i hope this doesn't slip because this is going to be tough to watch it does yeah yeah i you know for me too um i i obviously like the last scene we'll get into it but I, I wholeheartedly agree and you know I'm a huge league of their own fan so I'm just inherently a big Tom Hanks fan um, and I think he has some great moments in that film as well that are kind of underrated but um, yeah. this last scene is just probably the best work of his career maybe the best work we'll ever see him do and it's discussed um, it was discussed at the time critically a little bit uh, as just as far as people praising it but I felt as though it was underrated and I actually felt as though uh, just for that scene alone I would have given the movie more nominations than yeah. it got and the fact yeah. that he didn't win an award for this is criminal like yeah. it's phenomenal okay. yeah it's it's I think it was the best acting that year and probably a couple of years on either side. (laughs) Uh, Just as far as that one scene. And if you could give an Oscar for a scene, I would have given him lots for that scene because he just is, he, yeah, he did a fantastic job. There's a great arc with the character. Uh, You know, you really like they, I mean, we'll get into a little bit of the writing with it, but they really do a good job of showing that, early on like he's a family man he cares about his family and then like you know that sort of extends to him caring about the family of the ship and sort of being that protector and that figure who you know he worries maybe a little more than he should but that's a good thing in the long run so you know even his like sort of Achilles heels end up kind of helping him out a little bit so I think that that's just he does he does a great job I mean he's amazing and Barkat Abdi um who again, like, was basically a, an unknown before this because he yeah. hadn't done anything before this. Um, you know, kind of comes on and holds his own really well, um, and I think plays a really great villain. And that's the kind of thing that you talk about a lot in screenwriting. That you know, if you don't have a good enough villain, then it doesn't really matter how good your hero is. And I think that's really the case here, and you can definitely see it here that uh, you know Abdi for sure like he brings it um like the whole cast of Somali pirates are just they're all phenomenal um and they are all doing a really good job of holding their own against these I mean I think Hanks and pretty much everybody else has you know a resume in the film and he's you know these guys are kind of coming off like not really doing a lot um because unfortunately it's Hollywood and there's not a lot of work for non-white people um but you know they all kind of came on and they just really brought it and I I love that yeah, I mean, I think you bring up the most important point that when I first saw the trailers for this movie and heard about Barkat Abdi, how he had never been in anything before, I'm like, yeah. man, I feel bad for this kid. Like, you're going to go up against Tom Hanks, like, who can not only do drama well, but can do comedy well. Like, the guy can really do it all on screen, and you're just going to have these one-on-one scenes with him. And the most impressive thing, I think, about his performance is sometimes when you have a trailer line, right? Like, Sometimes they're cheesy, sometimes they're ridiculous, whether you're talking about, you know, this or the new Star Wars movie that's coming out where it's like, this is a rebellion, I rebel, you know, like to really hit that line and make it work in the flow of a movie is really hard. Really hard. But that I'm the captain now moment. The ship's broken. 
We had to go. Nobody gets hit. Easy. Because hey! Look at me. Sure. Look at me. Sure. I'm the captain now. Yeah. And that was so oversaturated. So. Like everybody, like I made that joke and I didn't see the movie. Like everybody, that. like, sure. but yeah. within the flow of this movie, it works so well and it's so oh. well delivered. And it, you brought up like making a good villain. And of course we'll get into that in the script, but it's not only a, a good villain, but a villain that we care about. Yes. Like he becomes someone that you actually in a weird kind of morbid way kind of root for. Yeah. As the movie goes on, especially as the movie travels to to the lifeboat sequences yes. where we find out a little bit more about him yeah. and what he's been going through. And it's just like I'm so glad that I, – I can't remember. Was he just nominated or did he win? He won, right, for Best Supporting? He might that? have. He might have won. I know he was nominated. I don't remember if he won yeah. or not. But I know and all very deserved. Like just yeah. – an amazing, amazing performance, yeah. and I can't imagine it being any better. And he was also this last year in Eye in the Sky, which I was not a huge fan of, but his performance is great. And he's yeah. going to be in the new Blade Runner movie, which makes me really happy. So, so it's good to see him getting, getting actually more. finally getting work. Yeah, yeah, and and deservedly so. Uh, you know, his character is sort of the um, the you know, the, I mean, God, I hate to say this, he's like the darker side of Captain Phillips. I mean, he's his, he's also the captain of his own crew. He's also, or the leader of his own crew by the time they board the ship. He's also the guy in charge. He's also the one who wants to protect his team and keep them safe while this is all going down. He's also somebody with a goal to get paid at the end of his journey. I mean, a lot of his goals align with the goals of Captain Phillips. So, you know, the fact that this character is able to, and this actor was able to um, complement and then also, you know, contrast really nicely with Tom Hanks was a really great, great job on his part, I think. And as much of that is the script, a lot of it is the acting. And you really have to bring it when you're going up against Tom Hanks. Like, you just have to. It's, it's Tom Hanks. Like, you already know the audience is on his side. You oh, already yeah. Know Who roots is. against Tom Hanks? Nobody like, roots against Tom Hanks. Only bad people root against Tom Hanks. It's Tom Hanks. He's everybody's dad, you know. So he's the guy that you want to root for and that you want to be on his side. And then when you can humanize somebody who's going up against him like that, it's just it's definitely a mark of a really strong actor. Yeah, absolutely. And a strong script, which which we'll get into right now. Um, I think so. I think one of the script's strengths on one side is also its weakness on the other. So I I love the opening. I love aside from the shaky cam aside, like (laughs) the insanity of that car ride aside. I I love that they, they set up a lot about the character, not only about Captain Phillips having a family and caring about his family, but also being kind of a tough love kind of dad, like kind of talking about the things his kids are doing wrong and they really need to shape up. And you get that as the movie more moves forward with the kind of coffee breaks on the ship and him being very, very stern with people. And I love that they set that up, but they also set up that he cares about these people. Yeah. I only wish we had gotten more of that with the Somali pirates. Like we get a little bit in the lifeboat, but it does yeah. feel like just this, you know, kind of these three or four lines. Okay, let's move on. Whereas I feel like we yeah. get – and granted, you said it is called Captain Phillips. That's who yeah. this story is about. But, you know, whenever you're dealing with a movie that's this – has this drastic difference between kind of one race is the 
yeah. it's the good guys and you're you're already fighting an uphill battle so yeah. you might want to do a little bit of work and talk yeah. about what's going on not just from this guy's perspective but from like a more macro perspective so i wish yeah. we would have had that and there was time for it because we have these scenes in the beginning with them jumping on their skiff and yeah. chewing this drug which i felt like okay like i was already worried at that moment like are we gonna go into this like stereotypical black people as savages like kind yeah. of bug-eyed and screaming for the whole yeah. movie and there is some of that <laughs> there are yeah. some characters that go that route but i'm glad we at least had barkhad abdi's character to kind of balance yeah. that a little bit and the the young kid too i thought did a mm. pretty good job who steps in the glass and you know he kind of has his his moments um yeah, I mean, to kind of go through a little bit of the writing stuff that I really liked, um, for sure, the beginning scene in the car, um, you know, I, we didn't really talk about this in acting, but I love Catherine Keener, and I think she's underrated and should be in everything. Yes. Um, but she does a great job as his wife, who's, you know, I mean, it's it's a thankless role, because it really is just the like, it's gonna be okay, honey, but we miss you, and we wish you weren't doing this, and we worry about you, but good luck, enjoy your trip, you know. And wearing of- what I assume is a horrible wig. A horrible wig. That is- <laughs> Big ever wigged. Yeah, oh. it's bad. Um, but she does a great job nonetheless, and is always really likable. And you know, I just I I've loved her and everything she's done, even when she's playing a character who's not super likable. Um, and so I think that she just does a really good job complimenting Tom Hanks, and you can see them as being like an old married couple, and you're like, yeah, that works, you know. So you totally buy it, and you know, I think she's one of two women in the whole film, um, but she does a really good job, and um, I really appreciated that we had some time kind of getting to know her a little bit because I think that uh, amplifies later when he uh, emails her and is like, everything's good, honey. See you soon. <laughs> like, you know, whatever he says, be home soon. Bye. Yeah. Um, and you're like, uh, there's like pirates, but okay. You know, um, but you can kind of see what their relationship is like and that he kind of, you know, they sort of both try to nurture each other, which I think is nice. Um, I think yeah. that, that that's sort of, uh, it's definitely gives you a feel of like, this is a married couple. They've been together for a while. They get each other's moods. They know what each other are going through and they care about each other. And, and I liked that a lot. And I like that we open with that. Um, it could have easily opened on the boat, but instead it's like, no, we're going to have both for uh, Captain Phillips and for Muse and his team. Um, there's moments where we see them before this whole pirate thing goes down Uh, and we get to see them kind of in their homes uh, dealing with what that is and that's interesting I think Um, so I did really like that I liked that you know when we see him pack right away the first thing that he packs other than his passport is a picture of his family like again it's hammering in the family thing I really liked that we don't see him pack his clothes it's just his passport and a picture of his family and that's it and that's all you need to show that he's this family guy um, and then I did like um, in the opening with the um, with the Somali pirates that um, the young kid whose name I don't know, but he's the guy who cuts his um, feet on the glass. Um, I like that we see him bribe his way onto the boat. I think that that's interesting because it's sort of like he's so desperate to get this money that he obviously needs um, that he will ultimately risk his life in a really big way. Um, and he'll literally bribe his way into a deathly situation. Like he literally pays, um, uh, Musa in, um, the drug cot, like, which is like just a sort of like a tobacco stimulant, but like, he basically like bribes him with it. And he's basically like, here's some, like before they go into like the group of like where Musa is going to pick who comes on his ship, 
Like he basically gets bribed by this little kid and then he takes the kid because the kid is like, here you go. Like before, like he sort of like knows how the culture works enough to be able to be like, okay, well, if I like pay him off before we get into the crowd, maybe he'll pick me kind of thing. And then he does. And it's like, it's like really, like, it's really tragic because it's like he bribes his way onto the ship that he's going to like ultimately die on. Right. It's really sad. Um, So I thought that, but I thought that was a nice beat because Otherwise, um, besides Musa and like the kid, we don't really get to know the other pirates that well until they're like already kind of at sea. And then we kind of see their conflicts and their interactions. Um, But the kid is really the only one that we get a sense of in advance because he we sort of see like, okay, well, maybe he's a smart businessman and maybe he's got a little bit more to him than just the fact that he's young. And so that's sort of interesting. Um, And then. I also thought writing-wise, it was really smart that um, the primary things that we see Tom Hanks do on the boat before the pirates attack are essentially, like, tell his crew to, like, stop, you know, screwing around and having their coffee. He's basically like, get back to work. Um, So you can kind of tell that he cares that the work is done and that he kind of runs a tight ship. And then um, even before, like, the... um, pirate attack warning by email he tells like i think his second in command his first like what i don't know what the ship terminology is but like his first mate essentially he's basically like okay like make sure everything's locked up like you know we're heading around the horn of africa like i don't want any of our doors unlocked i don't want like anything to be you know just hanging out like lock everything down and he says that even before he gets the email that like note there are pirate attacks in the area you know which we sort of knew was going to happen anyway but like they put in an email to like hammer it in but um you know even before that happens captain phillips is like lock stuff down like we don't want this to be you know essentially like a floating barge of treasure for the pirates you know Um, so he basically is like lock it up um and he says that before that and i think that that's interesting because we do later see that he does all these drills and you know obviously in the middle of one of the drills the pirates appear but I think that it's really interesting that before he even gets the warning, he's already like, it's in his head. He already knows that this is possible. And he already knows that this is a dangerous territory that they're entering. And he wants to be prepared. So you really get a sense that he's sort of like the Boy Scout in all of this. It's like family and country and like preparation and all this stuff. And he's that guy. And, you know, you kind of are are with him a little bit for that because he's shown that he cares about his kids and he cares about his wife and and you're there. You're there for it. So I really liked that. I liked those writing elements for sure. Yeah. The other thing, the only other thing I want to mention, I think you hit kind of most of the most of the points I really liked as well. But from kind of a, a more broad level, I think this movie in terms of script is so well paced. Yes. Like if you look at it on paper, like you have, you know, build up and then the pirates show up and then they walk through the ship and then they have to go onto this lifeboat. And then there's the kind of standoff. So you have these very pure action beats so that these long periods where it's just two people talking don't feel boring to kind of your standard audience. Like I think I'm I'm a little more patient with movies than probably most people are because I – you know I. I got my start in theater. So two people talking in a room like that's that's for me. That's like, okay, this is great. But a lot of people are like, why are we just watching these two people talking? And I don't think that there's a point in this movie where you're going to feel like, oh, God, it's just two people talking again. Can we move forward? Because there's always threat and there's always an action beat waiting just kind of around the corner, but without feeling like so over the top, like it's not a Michael Bay action beat. So it's not like every nine seconds something explodes. But there are there's enough there, I think, to keep you engaged in the script. Yeah. 
And I think they also do a good job. There's a good, I don't know if it's 30 minutes, 20 minutes, but there's like a lengthy chunk of time where they're in the lifeboat. Um, and they do a good job of, um, you know, splitting that up between like the lifeboat and like, you know, the rescuers who are coming to like save them. And so while we do have moments of claustrophobia, certainly while we do feel that it's like very like a hot and, you know, enclosed in that boat, um, in that little small lifeboat, uh, we also get breathers. And, mm. um, you know, it's like literally the minute that um, Phillips gets taken into the water and like the lifeboat falls in, um, then we go out to um, like the rescuers who are kind of like the emergency folks who are like, oh, we got a pirate situation, you know? So like they basically like Greengrass, and this is, I guess, a directing thing, but Green, it's also a writing thing, but you know, Greengrass and Ray are really smart to give us those breathers because we're going to need them. I mean, there's only so much while, you know, I'm with you that I can handle people sitting and talking for a minute, you know, there's only so much in the lifeboat before, first of all, you run out of angles that you can shoot from um, that are going to be realistic and believable. So you kind of have to get out of it before you can get back into it and reuse some of those old ones before. Otherwise, people are going to be like, oh, we just saw that two seconds ago. <laughs> um, and so you kind of need to do that from a directing standpoint, but also just from like an emotional standpoint, like you do need those moments outside of it so that you just feel how enclosed it is inside when you go back to it. Cause otherwise you'll also get used to this. Space right. You need that comparison. It. Yeah. You need that comparison and that contrast really works nicely. I think. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to move to production value really quick. One of the things we haven't mentioned on production value is something you kind of just brought up when the lifeboat drops in the water. And I don't oh, yeah. think I noticed this the first time, but the whole movie is underscored. Like there's never a yeah. moment of silence, whether it's that, you know, bordering on racist music with the with the Somali pirates on the skiff where it's a little <laughs> a yeah. little iffy or you just have this kind of orchestral music going on. There's as the lifeboat drops in the water, there's just complete silence until it hits. And it really hammers home this idea of like this was always dangerous, but it just got a lot more dangerous. Like you yeah. should really be worried. And I think that affects the viewer even if you're not noticing that the music cuts out you know, just necessarily you are feeling that in that moment. That's such a great choice. Yeah. I think throughout, um, you know, aside from the, some of the potentially racist music at some points. Um, but aside from that, like, I do think that the, the musical choices are smart. And I do agree that like when that lifeboat goes into the water, you're just like, your heart just stops and you're like, Oh God, you know, like, how, like, Cause you know, like when he's on the ship and they're doing the captain exchange and whatever, you're like, okay, they might all get away. Okay. Like they might, you know, but then once it's like, he's in the water with them, you're like, oh, he might not get away. Like right. this might be it. Like he might die in there. Cause it's so, it's so small and it's so, you know, and you like just having that overhead shot and you see the lifeboat and you see the ship next to it and you realize how small the lifeboat is and it's going into the water and it's going to be like him with pirates and they've got guns and you're just like, uh, uh Oh, you know, like it yeah. just, it, it just, it really ramps up that like, Oh my God, tension that green grass does a really good job of building. Yeah. And I also think like, we kind of mentioned the action sequences a little bit, like how well choreographed they are, but even the sequence where, you know, kind of his first mate has to go fix one of the hoses, like yeah. talk about like building tension and shooting that well, like you really feel like I, as I watched it the first time, I was like, he is dead. There's no yeah. way he's There's getting no out of this alive. And that's, yeah. I think that's the mark of a really great action sequence. If you are in fear for characters you care about, and that's all done yeah. really, really well here. 
Yeah, and the same with the um, when they're going to shut off the like secondary power or whatever. Like when that guy is like sneaking up to like shut off the emergency power. Essentially, you're just your your heart is in your throat. You're you don't know this guy could die. He probably will, and then he somehow manages to like use enough distractions to you know get the pirates kind of out of the way so that he can get to where he needs to get to and then get back. And it's just oh my god, it's totally gripping. Yeah. All right, uh, so let's jump to favorite scenes, and I'm just going to get this out of the way. We have to talk about uh, Tom Hanks' last scene because it's amazing. I think I've talked a lot on the show about how impressive it is for a performance when you kind of take away an actor's tools, right? You you take away the kind of charisma they have. You have you have him just kind of covered in blood, barely able to speak, barely able to open his eyes, and for him to put forward a performance in just kind of stuttering words and gasps and cries, especially for, you know, let's face it, in our culture like for a male, you know, lead to appear that that fragile in that moment as he should given everything yeah. that he's gone through because I think we have this this picture of heroic figures where they just they stoically make their way through it and then they move on with their life it's fine but so this scene is so moving to me like it i watched it uh for a second time this morning before we came on and it it moved me almost to tears again and i just watched this two or three days ago and you know usually uh, a moving scene the more you watch it the kind of less affecting it becomes because you're not in it you're not as shocked but it works every time for me it's just such an amazing performance i'm chief o'brien i'll be here Corman today, okay? Can you please tell me what's going on? Uh, I'm okay. Are you okay? Because you don't look okay. Are you in any pain right now? Are you in any pain uh, right now? Uh, right there on your side. Okay. Let me see it really quick. Can you lift up your arm a little bit? Does that hurt? A little bit? A little bit. Okay. Is it tender? Go ahead and put your arm down. Okay, I need you to look at me. I need you to calm down. I need you to breathe. There you go. Deep breaths. There you go. Very good. Awesome. Now I want you to relax your arm. Okay, we're going to put this little thing on your finger and we're going to get your heart rate and your oxygen level. Make sure you're breathing okay. Okay. I want you to keep doing that, okay? What happened to your head? Captain, can you tell me what happened to your head? Uh, they, uh, 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 there is, uh, it's okay. Take your time. Take your time. There's a two centimeter laceration on the left eyebrow. It's okay. It's all right. Okay. It's okay. Okay. I want you to look at me and I want you to breathe. Do you understand? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. There's about a four centimeter gap. A little laceration there on the left temple. Okay. Very good. All right. You're doing great. Okay. Did all this blood come from your eyebrow and your head? What? Did all the blood come from your eyebrow right here and on your head? Well, not all that, of this. No, not all of it. Okay. That's not mine. Okay, all right, all right, look at me. Okay, we're gonna lay you down, okay? okay? Yeah. All right. Yeah. I want you to lay down nice and gently. Nice and gently, okay? Uh, You're okay, I got you. There you go. Uh, Very good. Captain, you're safe now, okay? Thank you. You're welcome. You're okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Does my family know? Your family knows you're safe, and you will be able to call them as soon as you are taken care of. It is an amazing performance. Um, you know, it's there aren't there aren't really any women in this movie, but there's one at the end and there's there's one at the beginning. Um, but you know that that two minute scene also has, um, you know, I think she's like a, a essentially an EMT or like nurse mm-hmm. kind of figure or doctor maybe. Um, 
But, you know, what I thought was really interesting at the time when I was reading all of the reviews of the film and I, you know, a lot of them focused on that scene because it is this just heart wrench. It's so good. It's it's it, it really is the best acting of the last few years. I can't point to another scene, even with great acting, that like might match that. There's nothing better, certainly, right. um, that I've seen since, uh, you know, just as an acting scene. Um, and when I was reading all of this criticism, they basically were like, oh, yeah, like, you know, um, the woman in the scene is actually like, that's her job. Like, she's actually just like some EMT chick that like, you know, Paul Greengrass like found and just cast and that's just what she does. And so essentially, he said, like, okay, do what you would do in the situation. And it wasn't scripted. And it like was just basically like a completely unscripted scene that they just threw in. And it's so good. And I mean, I, I don't know if it becomes better because it is real or if it's you know just that you have such a great actor and you know whatever but it's so real and it's so real because and when you start reading that those you know criticism and you're like oh it's real because it's real like yeah right. it was it <laughs> there's no script there they're not going and saying here is your line like extra woman who we have just cast from central casting you know it's not right. that it's literally like they cast somebody who does this as her job and, you know, who should have also been getting some reviews for that, because I think she did a fantastic job as well, um, even with just like a few lines. Uh, but, you know, it's just it's so riveting and you can't pull your eyes away. And you're just I, I felt the same way. Like I thought I was going to go in because I'd seen it before a couple of times. And I, you know, this wasn't like my even my it was probably my fourth time seeing the movie. But I've seen the movie before a few times and I enjoyed it every time. And you know, each time I got to the scene, I was like, okay, like this is, you know, going to be really heartbreaking. And it was heartbreaking again. And I was sitting there like, oh my God, I'm going to start crying again. Like, it's so good. It's such a good scene. It's just it's like, that, oh God, it's, yeah. it's really, really great. And I it's, think it's really easy to, for viewers in general, not in this movie, but just in general, to kind of negate Tom Hanks. Like, oh, like you mentioned, he's everybody's dad. I'm going to yeah. feel good when I'm watching his movie. So sometimes you forget how talented he is and what an amazing performer he is and how he got to this point in his career. So it's one of those scenes that for me really solidified Tom Hanks as one of the great American screen presences of like the past 50 years. Like he's amazing. And it's, and it's cool to, it's been cool to see him kind of grow as an actor, you know, starting out in TV, starting out doing bosom buddies and stuff like that. And, you know, working his way to some real powerful dramatic work like this and Philadelphia, like just, Really incredible. And also, you mentioned earlier about within the arc of this character, in most movies, this would a scene like this feels out of place. It feels like, oh, here's your Oscar moment. Okay, let's go. But all of this, the build of this with the script, with the direction, with Tom Hanks' acting, it all really makes sense. It doesn't stand out as being, oh, this is ridiculous. This is over the top. It fits. It works. It works. And and it's nice because, um, you know, you kind of mentioned how you know, we kind of all know Tom Hanks and we've seen him in a million things and, you know, we're all very familiar with his work and it, it would be hard to find somebody who hasn't seen at least five Tom Hanks films just because he's done so much. And I'm not sure I want to know that person if yeah, you found them like, like mm, where have you been? <laughs> like, you know, even if you're not like into comedy, well, he did all these dramas too. If you're not into dramas, well, look, there's a thriller, you know, like he's right. just, he's done so much in so many different genres. And it's interesting because I will say, like, there are a lot of his films where it's like, oh, there's Tom Hanks doing a Tom Hanks movie. There's Tom Hanks in a Tom Hanks role. And 
he is a movie star. So like there are certainly films where, you know, for me, I certainly have Tom Hanks films where I just am watching Tom Hanks be Tom Hanks, you know, and that's fine. Um, but I think he transcends that. And it's interesting because there are a lot of movie stars that have a hard time with that, where, you know, you're very aware that you are watching that particular star do that particular role. For me, like Tom Cruise is one of those. I enjoy him. I enjoy his shtick, but he does the same shtick in every movie, you know? Right. So for me, that's not a bad thing because I enjoy it, but I could see where it would be if you don't enjoy it. If you don't enjoy that particular way of being, you might be like, okay, well, I'm not a fan of his because he's that thing in every movie. And with Hanks, I think particularly in the scene, he really showed that you can be an amazing actor and a movie star and you can be versatile and you can do different things that we haven't seen you do before in different ways. And that's really where you get those like transcendent moments. And that moment for me really is like, it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. All right. Um, any other favorite scenes for you? It's always hard to follow up talking about that scene because it's <laughs> so amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, the hose scene where they finally get the ladder onto the side of the ship, I think is great. Um, I, I I love that moment where it's just, you know, like the little ship coming at the big ship and then like the ladder misses and you're like, oh, they might not do it. And then it clicks on and that that moment of tension is fantastic. Uh, you know, I mean, I think most of the scenes where um, Tom Hanks and Barkhad Abdi are interacting are very strong. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily point to one particular. I mean, everybody's like, I'm the captain now, but like, I don't think that that scene stands out to me particularly as a great scene of movie making it's just like a trailer scene more than anything else um but yeah I mean I think those scenes um I think those are the two for me and we already talked about the lifeboat but you know with the lifeboat going onto the water the uh the ladder going onto the side of the ship and then the last scene are probably my favorite beats yeah the only other beat I wanted to mention is that the execute scene uh where the you know the armed forces kind of take out the pirates and it's especially effective because of Tom Hanks's portrayal again, his reaction because he can't see and he's literally yes. sprayed with blood in that moment. And, and you just hear him repeat yeah. like, what is that? Because he has no idea. He's not yeah. someone who's around guns. He's not someone who's around death all the time. He's just a ship captain. And I thought that was such a human moment. It would be very easy to just have him yeah. scream or say nothing and be stoic, but instead like just this genuine confusion in that moment, because it all happened so quickly. I thought his performance really nailed that. Yeah, I agree. I think that he did just a fantastic job. And that moment, too, is it, it sticks with you. And I mean, for me, it like leads into that sort of last scene of him, you know, and, yeah. and the, you know, medical worker. But it's just it's yeah, it's fantastic. It's he, he does a great job. And that scene definitely is another one where he, again, is really bringing it. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the theme. So the theme, of course, is uh, the effects of poverty. And I think it's something that obviously it it's what moves the plot really is what's yeah. happening. And but we don't really find any of that out until some of those scenes in the lifeboat with Barkat Abdi kind of talking about, you know, talking about Somalia and talking about what it was like, how they can't fish anymore. And there's there's a lot of political stuff that goes on with that. And a lot of it is due to kind of American interference and globalization. Yeah. So it's really interesting to see like kind of a. You know, we see a little bit like of a someone who could have been a good person turned bad 
because of outside forces. And I think it's really easy for us to see whether people are poor in America or poor in elsewhere in the world to see like, oh, well, they did something terrible. So they kind of deserve what they've gotten. But like these outside forces really do play a part. Like we can't, nothing occurs in a vacuum. You know, I can't say I would be the same person I am if I grew up in that circumstance. Like I happen to grow up middle class, white and male. Like that's, I've got, I've almost ticked all the good boxes for, for survival and for success. So it was really interesting. That scene really was interesting to me and kind of moving because you see for the first time that character kind of let down his guard and be like, okay, I'm not in control. This is, this is not, I was just a fisherman. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. And and I like the repetition of that. I thought that was kind of a nice writing beat that, you know, they kind of keep referring to that and it's just like, well, I mean, yeah, like you you guys were, but you know, you're not anymore and like how much responsibility, you know, and I mean obviously does Tom Hanks personally hold responsibility for that? I mean, you know, you can kind of make the argument that like, you know, how much each individual white person has responsibility for white privilege and, you know, for capitalism and all of these other things. But, um, you know, he certainly, America certainly has some responsibility for it. And so, you know, his country certainly does hold some responsibility for it. And I think that that's something um, you talked about it a little bit that it would have been nice to humanize them a little more. And, you know, I agree. Like, I think that um, there is that you know, they do talk about how they were fishermen and then, you know, their waters got fished and now that this is what they're doing and that's their only choice. And I think it would have been interesting to kind of dig a little deeper into their backgrounds. And I know that that's not the purpose of this film. I know that that's not what the film wanted to do or what it wanted to say. So I understand why it chose not to, but I kind of still wish it had. And I also like this, the movie kind of, they, there's a lot of stuff they ignore, but one thing they don't ignore is kind of the difference between living in Somalia and living in the United States. Like you see when they find out that they're from the U.S., they kind of celebrate because it's viewed as this, oh, they must have plenty of money. They must have millions because that's kind of the, yeah. the the kind of outside perspective. And then there's a really powerful moment in the movie where Phillips kind of tells them, like, you, you could do something else. It was supposed to be easy. I take ship. Ransom. Nobody can have it. You had $30,000 and a way to Somalia. It wasn't enough. I got bosses. They got bulls. We all got bosses. There's got to be something other than being a fisherman and kidnapping people. Maybe in America, Irish. Maybe in America. Like, do anything but this. And he says, maybe in America. Like, yeah. it's different. And I like that they pointed that out. It wasn't just like, you know, the pirate telling him to shut up or pistol whipping him or anything sure. like that. He was just like, yeah, that's not that's not that's my not world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's like, I can't actually go flip burgers. Sorry. Like, right, right. You know, like the usual sort of like, well, why don't you get a job? It's like, well, this is my job. Yeah. You know? It's like, this is the job that I can get. Yeah, and that whole so, bit about like everybody has a boss. Like yeah. I have a boss too. Like, yeah, I stole all this and I'm taking all this, but I don't get to keep it. You yeah. know, it was really, totally. really powerful stuff. Yeah, I mean, and it's like you also know, like you have this sense that like even if – 
the pirates had, let's say, gotten away with what they wanted to get away with and they'd, you know, gotten the money that they wanted and they'd gotten whatever they wanted, you still sort of feel like the cycle would have just continued. Yeah, they would have been back out there. like Yeah, both because they wouldn't have been able to keep enough to survive in any sort of long-term sense, but also because even if they did, there were so many people on that beach who wanted to go in that boat, you know? So, like, even if those, like, four dudes got away and had the money they needed and whatever, there's, you know, 40 waiting to take their place. So it's just like, you know, how do you end that cycle? Yeah, absolutely. All right, good. I think we've uh, covered the movie uh, pretty well. So the movie we're pairing this with, of course, is Sully, uh, which is about, you know, of course, the very famous story of the airline pilot who landed on the Hudson. Uh, I think it's uh, directed by Clint Eastwood. So we got that going for us, I guess. I think I'm very hit and miss with Clint Eastwood. Mm -hmm. Like, I think there are things he does really well. Like, I think he got an amazing performance out of Bradley Cooper, uh, but the movie itself, not so great, you know, and he's all, and you know, kind of the Unforgiven is a great, great Western, but there's also some in there that aren't so great. So, so what are your expectations for Sully? Um, well, one of my friends is in it, so I kind of have to see it. Um, (laughs) I have to see it for her, um, which I'm excited. She's really great. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I love Tom Hanks. So, you know, for me, it's like there, there's never like, I mean, there have been bad Tom Hanks movies, but like there's rarely a bad Tom Hanks performance in a movie. So I know that like whatever kind of happens on there, like I will enjoy whatever he does with it. Um, but I, I don't know, like it's not topically, it's not like a movie that I would be like, oh, this idea just sounds phenomenal. I'm so <laughs> excited about it. Like, yes, I definitely want to see a reenactment of this thing that was in the news for two minutes. Like, however many years ago, um, like, you know, I was like, yay, like, I'm glad everybody got out alive. But like, it's not like, you know, a topic of like, direct interest to me personally, like, it's not like the kind of movie where if I just heard like the log line, I'd be like, Oh, that sounds like a movie I really want to see. Um, like, I tend to go a little bit more towards like action and like thrillers and like whatever than I do towards like, dramas with some disaster elements, maybe. Um, so I don't know, like, maybe it'll be for me. But I, I'm a little skeptical. I, you know, I think Eastwood has put his foot in his mouth a little bit recently, too. Um, so we're kind of oh, coming yeah. off of that <laughs> <laughs> more than once. Um, so we're kind of coming off of that. And he's certainly had problematic films. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not like the hugest Eastwood fan, I guess. So I think that I'm a little bit mixed. Like I'm going to see it because, you know, like I said, a friend of mine is in it and Tom Hanks and whatever. So I'll go, but I'm not like holding my breath. Um, you know, I think, I think it'll be fine, but I don't think it's going to be like this. I imagine it's trying to be Oscar bait, but I don't think that it's going to be mind blowing for me. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm in kind of a similar camp. And this is this is the power of the movie star, right? Which we we talked about when we talked about uh, Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible on our on the last episode we did together. And there's so few movie stars left. Like, I think the Hollywood is definitely going away from the movie star. But, you know, yeah. when you have Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise, like they still have pull. And honestly, if you cast, you know, anyone else I, that I can think of of that yeah. age in this movie, I have zero interest. Yeah. But because it's Tom Hanks, I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, exactly. you impressed me with Captain Phillips, so let's like, I will, I'll be there, I will see yeah. it. Um, so all I'm hoping for really is a really great performance from Tom Hanks. The story itself, like, I feel like I know the story because it was in the yeah. news so much when it happens. Uh, yeah. So I'm not like 
it's not one of those things like, gee, I wonder how this is going to turn out. I kind of already know. Uh, so it's going to be, it's all going to hinge on his performance. And, you know, just like this was called Captain Phillips, this is called Sully. So it should be all about him. So all hopefully. About yeah. yeah, I've heard that it like delves a little bit into the aftermath more, which I'm, I guess, I don't know if I want to say excited about, but I guess I'm glad that it's not just a film about whether or not they make it through that crash. Um, because that scene, I mean, it's first of all, like the crash itself does not last very long. It's like two minutes or something like that. I don't know, but it's like a really short time period in the history of like the world. Um, so I don't think that that would be like a very lengthy, uh, you know, on screen like situation. Like you'd literally have to watch like, uh, you know, an hour of like a plane flight, which sounds like relatively dull. Um, so I guess that they delve into a little bit more of what happened afterwards, which I guess is interesting because I don't think that was in the news as much. Um, but I just, again, like you, I'm, you know, I'm more, I think it's going to be more of a performance piece than a story piece. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, so once again, uh, thanks. Thanks for being on. Thanks for talking, Captain Phillips. And why don't you let people uh, know one more time about No Trace and where they can find you online? And of course, your name is impossible to spell. So we'll definitely put all that stuff in the show in notes, the notes for sure. Yeah, awesome. Um, well, I'm on Twitter and it'll be in the show notes. Um, so look at those. And then uh, you can also find my film, No Trace, at GoFundMe.com slash Miranda Directs. And uh, yeah, we're doing pretty well. So I'm excited about it. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Pop Culture Case Study. If you'd like to hear some other awesome movie podcasts, you should go over to our network, followingfilms.com. And there you can find other great podcasts like the True Romance Film Podcast and the Best and Worst of the Best. If you'd like to connect with me, head on over to Twitter and my handle is at PC Case Study. But if you really want to go the extra mile, go to patreon.com slash popculturecasestudy, and there you can donate on a per-episode basis and get some really cool rewards. You can even be on the show if you donate enough per episode. Now, the next time you hear me, we will be doing an episode on Sully. So until then, I will be here diagnosing your favorites and judging you for what you watch. I got a plan to get us out of here, been working at the convenience store. Managed to save just a little bit of money. Yeah, but uh, we'll see. But the good thing about Mission Impossible is that, like, we'll see it. Like, yeah, it's it's not it's not going to be that thing where they're like, well, screw it, we're not making another Mission yeah, Impossible. We exactly. decided to stop printing money. We don't want yeah. that anymore. See, my old man's got a problem. Yeah, but the bottle, that's the way it is. He says his body's too old for working. Body's too young to look like his My mama went off and left him She wanted more from life than he could give I said somebody's got to take care of him I quit school and that's what I did